Natalie Nicole Gilbert, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on The Sound Architect. Thanks for speaking to us today. And we're very excited to talk to you about your career so far and what you've been up to. Thank you so much. It's so lovely to meet you. It's great to be on the show. Nice to meet, so to speak. <laughs> exactly. Even if we can't be in person, it's very nice to connect together online. Definitely, always. So just for the benefit of our listeners, give us a brief overview of what you've been up to recently. Yeah, I've been working on a number of voiceovers as per usual, a couple of documentaries and commercials. I have my own home studio that I have had for voiceovers for almost a decade now. We won't say how old that (laughs) may or may not make me. And I've also been working on a lot of music, a lot of jazz music in more recent months. My last album had, as you know, sort of a mishmash of jazz and pop and ethereal Inya-esque sort of things. And then I also just released a single last month. It was a little love tune called A Run Right Home that's got some jazz and flamenco strains to it too. So it's been a nice little collection. There's always something really fun that's on the table. Yeah, and you had a lot of contributors to that Slip of the Tongue album, didn't you? Yeah, we were really fortunate. We decided to do a Kickstarter just to cover the costs of pressing the hard copy CDs because most of my releases have been purely digital because that's been, you know, of course, the new wave of music. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. but then at the same time, you know, I had even friends and family saying, hey, can I have a copy of your CD? And I'm like, "Uh, can you hand me a USB key? I'll be happy to, (laughs) you know, it just loses some of its luster. It doesn't feel as final. And it's not as easy to hand off to complete strangers. You know, I, I love to like leave it for a waitress or something or just, you know, bump into people on the street and be like, hi, you know, I'm actually quite an introvert. I know that makes me sound like an extrovert, but I just like surprising people and doing sort of like random acts of kindness. And it's just so much harder to do that when it's like, here's my download card or, yeah. you know, here's my website um, so you can download the music and then with this little coupon <laughs> code. Yeah. And then I get the emails. Oh, the code isn't working today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So to eliminate all of that fuss and enable more of those serendipitous moments where you can just be on a train with somebody and say, I hope you're having a nice day. I'm sorry. It looks like you're having a rough Friday. Here you go. We had a Kickstarter campaign to pay for a thousand CDs and we had people contribute even from Australia who surprisingly covered half of our budget and they never knew us from Adam or Eve before that campaign. So it was straight off the Kickstarter. Yeah, it was wonderful that it, it became sort of an avenue to meet some new people and make some new fans at the same time. Cool. So Obviously, we're going to talk about voiceover, but tell us, because you're a quite multi-talented individual, aren't you, really? Because you don't just do voiceover. You also write music and you sing and everything. And you've also done a little bit of acting before as well. So tell us how your career in everything began. Well, my first seed was really music because I grew up with a professional pianist who was wonderful. And I would get to come with her as a child to many of her performances and even the dinner parties she would play for, which is how I developed part of my coffee addiction. Because (laughs) as a five-year-old, you naturally don't drink the vodka and the wine that they have at the dinner party. So I got very involved in music that way, just kind of, you know, hovering around all these ballet classes and weddings. And I was getting exposed to such a breadth of music from the classics and Tchaikovsky over to Streisand and wedding music and pop music. And my brother was in a metal band. My sister was studying operatic music. So I kind of had everything but country and rap in my sphere growing up and on vinyl and tape and everything. And then I got involved in theater classes and ballet classes as a kid. So by the time I reached my teens and I started kind of singing a little more professionally for some weddings here and there and going into theater classes, I already had a background in reading from a script and I already had a background in vocal maintenance and not 
you know, performing to a degree that would really mess up your vocal cords. Yeah. So I saw an ad in a local paper just saying that they needed a backup DJ at a, a really small local station. And I thought, well, you know, sure, of course, why not? I have some free time and I've always wanted to be a DJ. I used to make these little voicemails on my home answering machine that I'm sure I'd be very embarrassed to hear today. <laughs> Hi, I'm Natalie Nicole Gilbert. And today your inspiring quote is, you know, <laughs> and my friends would hate it. They would just, of course, want to get to the beep. But it was fantastic. Fantastic practice to read from these scripts and to try to keep it concise and articulate. So when I went in for that radio interview to work from 2 a.m. to 7 a.m. on a Sunday or something, I was happy to get a spot, whatever the spot was. So I put in a lot of those sort of grueling hours. And in return, they trained me on working with the software and working with the gear so that I could be my own engineer and not have to rely on other people. So it was a really great scenario that was a real learning experience for me where I got to be the hero for them by working these horrible hours. And (laughs) they got to be the hero to me by training me on how I could be my own producer in so many of these ways. It was sort of like a training course via the job, I suppose, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It was a lot of hands-on training, which, you know, I personally have always been a fan of. I love classes, but I really love learning while you're actually doing Learn by doing is what you're way. training to be yeah. doing. So you have your own voiceover studio, don't you? Yes, I do. I uh, put my voiceover studio together about 10 years ago. I am not fantastically tech savvy when it comes to all the wires and everything, <laughs> um, but I have some wonderful friends who are very skilled in those ways. So I pulled them in and said, okay, I'm looking at these things. Are these the best pieces of equipment? And in some cases they said yes. In others, they were like, no, 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 that's way more than you need or... <laughs> Which thing are you looking at doing this more for voiceovers or music? And then I'm saying, well, really kind of both. And so we tailored it to my knowing that I was going to be using it for both of those things. And, you know, somebody who's doing just voiceovers could get away with only these things. And somebody doing only music could get away with just these things. But it's a sort of interesting balance to find the gear that meets both of those needs. Cool. So for, for me and the fellow audio geeks out there, could you briefly tell us a bit about what equipment you've got just out of interest? Oh, yeah, absolutely. My main microphone that I use is an MXL 990 microphone. It's a diaphragm mic that's phantom powered. The great thing about that is that it's very directional. And because I am in a home studio and I'm not in a space that's been specifically built for being a studio, it's just our office at home, really. It's such a benefit that every piece of traffic outside the door or every dog barking or every passing sound that I can hear in the room doesn't get picked up on that microphone because I point the backside of the microphone to the noisiest spot by the window. But on the other hand, because it is a diaphragm mic instead of just a basic, you know, SM58 or even an RA20, it also captures a lot of the crispness of your voice. Don't get me wrong. I love RA20s and SM58s are obviously great for live performance. But for the kind of things that I'm doing where I want the voiceovers to really be able to capture the emotion of my read, especially if it's like a heartbreaking spot about adoptions or something yeah. or endangered species, you know, then I want the tone to really be captured and come across. Yeah, and by really the same time, affectionate tone, don't you? <laughs> I try. I certainly yeah. try. Even if it's a topic I don't know a great deal about. <laughs> and then on the music side, of course, I really want that microphone to also capture the whispers and the intimacy for the more acoustic stuff but also be able to capture cleanly without maxing out and getting too compressed 
the, the moments when I might like to belt. So for me, this microphone has been great. And the great thing about it is that it's not super expensive. At its highest price, it's about $200. Oh, wow. But I got it on sale for 50 Perfect. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and it's a great company too. I, I highly recommend MXL. They, they really have some great things that are even USB bound. This particular one is an XLR plug, but I like that because I also have a Behringer Eurorack mixer that I plug into for that phantom power. And that also gives me more capabilities to plug in my keyboard and my guitar. And then I have a basic Audigy sound card upgrade that just helps the sound be a little clean and gives me some of the plugs and the interface that I want. Yeah. I actually use Adobe Audition as my software um, oh, wow. digital shop. Yeah, it's not commonly used by a whole mm. lot of people. And I actually stumbled onto it because of my radio work. It's very commonly used in a lot of radio stations for commercial production. Yeah. Cool. But it has, I think, up to 136 tracks that you can do. So it has largely all the same capabilities that a Cubase or a digital performer or Pro Tools would for those of us that are working from home and yeah. just kind of doing demos. Your first voice acting gig, was that through your DJing? Did you then start doing commercials while you were there? Yeah, actually, that's exactly how that came about. Because naturally, when we had advertisers that would come to the radio station who'd never done radio spots before, they're just, you know, Joe Schmo automotive shop, <laughs> and they want to let people know about their break special during the spring. They are not familiar with how to go about hiring voice talent or going to an ad agency and dropping $50,000 on something. <laughs> they just go directly to the radio station and say, I would like to have an ad on your station. What do I need to do? Here's $500. So we, of course, use the talent that's in-house at the radio station, first and foremost, especially if it's a public station or a listener-supported station, which in that case it was. Yeah. So we would kind of rotate through who was available and who was the best fit. Across my radio career, for all the years that I worked in radio, I was almost always the only female on the radio <laughs> staff. So I would always get the spots about like breast cancer and child adoption <laughs> and, you know, anything where they thought that it needed a tone of, oh, you poor thing, yeah. you know, <laughs> which at times was really grating to me because I felt like I was always the one stuck doing all the donation spots, yeah. all the sheriff spots. We to do all the exciting um, stuff and apart from all the motherly and like the worrying. And <laughs> exactly, because they associate with all the, I mean, not that I didn't get to do the other stuff too. And some of my favorite commercials include like Cadillac and McDonald's and, awesome. you know, some of these peppy things and the documentary about sawfish too, you know, all of these, especially the ones where I'm getting to do like a tutorial and sort of train people on how to use a software or how to prepare for their medical exam. Yeah. You know, those are things that aren't as solidified by gender. They're quite interesting as well. I mean, I, I've looked into this before and a lot of people have done things who have done traditional videos or training videos uh, or internal presentations and things. How do you get picked up for that? Were you part of an agency or was that through the radio as well? Those, I think, were all personal. If I look back and think through, actually, if I recall correctly, and I may get corrected on this later, but I'm pretty sure the Sawfish documentary came to me because I randomly friended somebody on Facebook. Facebook either recommended to me or that I happened to share like 56 friends in common with, yeah. but we just know each other. I'm going to have to see who our common friends are now to see how that came up. But I think I go through these spells where I'm sometimes very outgoing on Twitter and Facebook. And I'm like, okay, we have lots of people in common. Why not? Yeah. Sometimes people are like, how do I know you? You know, but most of the time they're like, oh, wow 
wow, we have so many friends in common. Have we met or are you just being friendly? Oh, I love it when people are friendly, you know, <laughs> you know, and I try to I specifically look for like the Facebook people who have over 2000 friends or the people that I know aren't going to be like, no, I don't think so. Yeah. But yeah, I think that one came that way. The software tutorial for mixtape that I did came because I wrote some articles on how to create a voiceover demo. And this person in Australia was looking for voiceover talent. They were taking it on themselves to hire that person. And they found this article that I'd written something like seven years earlier that was on a site so defunct that it didn't even have any of my current information. But he Googled me and found my current information. And I said, you know what, just because you went to all that trouble, (laughs) I'm going to give you the same rate that I advertised on that place six or seven years ago. So a lot of this, well, you know, I just wanted to be fair. I'm like, I'm going to charge you, you know, not that my rates were, have changed so much over that time, but I don't want to be like, Oh, you saw that my rate for that would be a hundred dollars. But today that's a thousand. Sorry about your luck. (laughs) But yeah, I think by and large, a lot of it has been putting myself out there and just having a presence, not only on my own website, but getting out there on music sites and voiceover sites And also back in the day, I mean, I would say I've serendipitously found more of those really great clients. But back in the day, I did also create a CD that I would hand walk into post houses or recording studios and say, hey, I know you do some commercial work. I tell you what, I'll give you the first one free. If you like the sound you hear on my demo, try me out. And I had a few people take me up on that. And some of them, after I did the free one for them, came back to me a year or two later saying, you know what, here's some paid work for you. So it's a wide variety of sort of casting that net and finding those people. But I think the biggest thing is recognizing who those people are. A lot of people will go directly to agents and that's fine. Agents can be a big help, but ultimately the people that are hiring you are the people who either own the product or the people in post houses who have their own studio. So if you start making friends with those people and offer them reasonable rates and offer them great availability then they're going to be very excited to work with you. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting you spoke about reels and stuff because my next question was going to be, what advice would you give to the listeners who are aspiring voice artists who want to kind of get into commercials or games or animation, anything really? What would you advise to them? I would recommend actually two or three sites that are a really big help. One that's going to be so obvious. Some people will say, I've already, I'm already doing that or why didn't I think of that is Craigslist. Because especially if you look up ads in other cities, metropolitan areas like Chicago, New York, or Los Angeles, there are a lot of post houses that are posting ads. They are saying, we have a very small budget for this, but we have a local radio spot that we need somebody for today, and we can only pay you $50. But if you either have a home studio that you've taken it upon yourself to set up, or you can get studio time very cheaply for at a friend's studio for that same 50 bucks then you can just say, you know what, I know you're paying me 50 and it's going to cost me 50 for that studio time, but I'm willing to just come out to zero on this so that you can hear me and I can establish this relationship. And once you do that, then you have that in place and they know they can call on you again for turnaround within 48 hours for a really quality sound. So I highly recommend Craigslist. I've gotten some Weight Watchers gigs and stuff (laughs) off of that. I've also been on VoiceNet off and on. Um, That's really more of an avenue. I think it's 
voice.net. Uh, you know, I'm going to get the link for you later yeah, to no look worries. it up and make sure you the right one. But it's, it's a website that's designed specifically for voiceover talent, primarily to connect with voiceover agents. Right. But the great thing about the site, whether you ever go looking for an agent or not, is that it's a really great place for your voiceover demo to live. You can post your resume there, your headshot, and whether you ever use it for their intended purpose or not, you can use it as sort of your Facebook page for a, like a profile to pass off to post houses. So you don't have to have a website. You don't have to have all these things in place. You can just say, here's my information. Mm -hmm. Listen at your leisure. And then the other thing I would really highly recommend is volunteering for a lot of places that need free readers. And that includes the Printing House for the Blind. That includes some sites online that I can also get you the link for later of audiobook people, some yeah. authors that are either for people to read their audiobook for free or for a small fee. Those things are really time consuming. So a lot of us that do regular voiceovers for commercials don't always have time for those larger products. But if yeah. you're getting started and you know they like your sound, then it could be a really great avenue for you to go. The printing house can be kind of picky about the people they choose, okay. but it is a great way to get familiar with reading from a script. And it's also a great way to get a free demo yeah, exactly. as you sort of build your resume you know plus i mean how great would it sound to be like i read St stephen king's latest book or yeah that'd be awesome watched. yeah you know. <laughs> so these are some great ways to just sort of build your resume build your audio clips so that when you do get out there and you start shopping to the post houses or you do respond to a craigslist ad you can say here are some really great professional clips that i've worked on and it's not just you producing some stuff in your home studio awesome are there any major do's and don'ts that you'd recommend? As we sort of touched on just a little bit earlier, one of the biggest things is not sounding canned. And I know that this yeah. is something that people starting out wrestle with a lot. Some of them don't even know they're wrestling with it. You know, they don't always hear it until they're listening back or until they get <laughs> feedback from the client. But one of the biggest things right now is that in radio and TV more and more clients want you to sound like you're just having a conversation over coffee with somebody. They do sometimes also want that authoritative sound like you're the news reporter informing people about things. But what people want less and less of is that radio personality from the 60s or even the 80s. It's just, <laughs> yeah. you know exactly what I'm talking about, that booming voice that's like, and today we're going to talk about it. Everybody can tell that your enthusiasm is faked. And nobody wants to buy a product if they know you're faking it. Yeah. And then secondarily, after so much of that, you just start to tune it out. It becomes static. And more than anything, the people who are paying big bucks for these advertisements want to know that their advertisement is going to be heard and it's going to have an effect and an impact. Definitely. So the other main thing I would say, and you know, this was really stressed to me early on in my training, is as you look at the script, Look for the keywords that you really need to drive home. And sometimes the client will even say this to you. They will say, uh, we don't actually get a lot of traffic through Facebook and Twitter. We're not looking at that social interaction. We're just talking to the geeks on the Apple App Store. <laughs> you know, the good geeks. I, I'm one of those geeks too. But it's sometimes they will sort of give you that instruction on, you know, focus on this part, but you don't have to play this part up so much. But it's really good if you can develop those instincts on your own and say, okay, today I'm talking about mascara. 
the fact that it's, you know, waterproof and that you can wear it for 12 hours are probably the aspects that the customer cares about most, you know, or, you know, this brand new Samsung Galaxy, whatever, you know, driving home what it can and can't do. You have to think about it as if you're the consumer and say, which of these adjectives would be most powerful to me that would make me run to T-Mobile? We have to laugh off microphone about some of the really ridiculous things we are asked to say or talk about, you know, and there's certainly been times too, I'll fully admit where I've had to write back to the client and say, you know what, I just can't do this commercial for you. Not only do I not agree with the What's been the most ridiculous thing or? Oh, well, I think one of them was actually political. One that comes to mind was political. Yeah, because it was supporting something that actually would take rights away from me that I value. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, uh, not not only am I not being paid enough to do that, but I also, I feel like even if I was being paid a million dollars, it wouldn't be worth me yeah, and my integrity. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody has those different things. I do that very rarely because I don't want to be one of those picky people to work with. But also because I want to pick and choose my battles and my clients know if it does come to me saying that, that it's really something important to me. I've also not done spots for gentlemen's clubs, even though I've been asked to, you know, (laughs) consider that I live a little close to Las Vegas. So there is that. But I have really wonderful clients and I always stay really personable with them. So if it ever does come down to my saying, you know what, I, I can't do this for you this time, I try to be as nice about it as possible. I've never had them say, oh my God, I can never work with you again. Every time they completely understand. In fact, some of them have even said, I had a feeling you might say that, but I just thought I'd email it to you and see to their credit, you know, the scripts themselves weren't, it wasn't like I was being asked to moan or do anything horrible, you know, but it was still just knowing what kind of product and service laid behind that commercial that I just didn't want to be affiliated with. Yeah. Have you ever had an input on the script in a similar situation where you've read it and gone, guys, this this kind of sounds a bit weird the way you've said that. Should we not do it this way or, you know? Yeah, actually, that's a fantastic question. It's, you know, it's a little bit easier to do this when you've been doing it for a while. <laughs> yeah. And for one, I'm a writer also. And while, you know, I'm not perfect in my grammar on all occasions, I would rather be a little more conversational and not too uptight than be perfect to a T. Yeah. But at the same time, if something is just glaringly horrible, then <laughs> what I'll try to do for my clients, especially when I have the leisure of recording something in my home studio, yeah. is I'll tell them in the track, I'll say, hey, guys, I see some errors in this script. I'm going to give you one or two reads exactly as it's written. But I have a feeling there are some typos or that the person who did this, maybe English isn't their first language. (laughs) So I'm also going to give you a few reads where I clean up the language a little bit. And I would say 99.8% of the time when I cleaned up the language, they wound up going with my version instead of the original. And it's not even so much because the client was horrible at English. More often than not, it was because they sent that commercial script through 20 different hands at their company. And when you have 20 different people opening that Microsoft Word document and changing it and sending it on to the next person, it's so easy for them to realize they accidentally deleted a whole sentence or a whole word or that spell check corrected something the wrong way. So it's really doing them a favor. So, you know, even if you are a beginner, I would say if you do see something that you know is just blatantly obvious, Go ahead and bring it to their attention, but also give them a read exactly as it's written because you never know when it may be language that's specific to their industry. If you see the phrase tour of duty, that may not seem like 
a real phrase to you if you're not familiar with the military. But I've done a number of voiceovers for the morale and welfare and recreation segments of the military to know that it's not hour of duty. That's not a typo. It is tour of duty. So be receptive and bring it to the client's attention first and foremost so they can tell you if that really is the way they wanted it and the board and all those 50 people approved it that way and there's no wiggle room. But also go ahead and offer them those other suggestions because that's part of what keeps it conversational is when you read it like a real person and not like the radio personality from the 40s. Okay, final question. What lies in the future for you now? The plans for 2014 for you? Oh, the plans for 2014. Well, an exciting year for me because I just got married. I don't know if you can see the ring on my Congratulations. Thank you. Because I am trying to shift my time and spend a little more time at home, I'm doing a few less concerts and a few less things out this year. But it's also giving me more time to focus on the things that happen inside the studio so that I'm really been actually doing a lot in recent months looking for fellow collaborators for music. So we've been watching uh, Nashville. One of my friends, Snuffy Walden, is doing the music on that show. Oh, wow, that's fantastic. Big kudos to him. Some really wonderful people on that show. And the writing is really solid. It actually is a a really true representation of life in the music industry. Even the phrases and and the way they speak to each other are very realistic. But as we've been watching that and I even just watching them sort of, you know, shop for songs for their next record, it's been adding to this since I've already had going. You know, I've been so reliant in years past on just meeting the right people that I love working with. And I've been so fortunate to bump into them at songwriting workshops or friending them on Facebook and just kind of happening into these organic collaborations. But in all this time that I've been singing professionally, I've never really put the word out there saying, because I'm a singer songwriter myself and I haven't had to, Yeah, I've never really put the word out there saying, Hey, if you have some great songs that you think could be a good fit for me, send them my way. <laughs> so I'm finally taking a moment to do that because I think in years past, it's not that I so much entirely looked down on it as much as I just thought, I got this, I can do this all by myself. But now I'm just kind of looking at the time constraints of me having to do every element, have my hand in every piece of that pie And recognizing that, you know, collaborating is fine and it opens up a little more free time for me and and I can still be involved. I can still co-write and I can still shine a light on some of these great artists and great people like you that more people (laughs) need to get to know, you know? Yeah, you're a very friendly guy. So I I love collaborating because it lets people meet other people that you know they need to meet that just don't get enough attention. So 2014 for me is a big year of collaboration. And it's not that I haven't in the past, but it's just sort of been gaining this momentum. And I'm really excited about it because I've already happened upon these great jazz people and pop people and R&B people that are kind of pulling me in this direction of like Nora Jones meets Alicia Keys. So it's a really exciting mesh of tones. Obviously, I already love merging tones and playing with things. I don't feel like genres should be kept so separate with fences. But 2014 is going to be a really merging and, and meshing year for me. And I look forward to including a lot of other people in that. Fantastic. Well, you have to keep us up to date and we'll have to do a follow-up interview and see how you're getting on. Yeah, absolutely. That would be awesome. That would be great. Fantastic. Well, thank you ever so much for speaking to us today. It's an absolute honor to have you on The Sound Architect and we look forward to hearing all about your amazing 2014. Thank you so much. It's so lovely to meet you. It's great to be on the show. Thank you very much.